Um, anyway, we're doing a series right now that we've been doing, uh, I guess, all of the summer. It's been a long series. I've loved it. I hope you guys have loved it as well on the life of Jesus. We're just calling it the life of Jesus. And so we've looked at a lot of the different things that Jesus said and a lot of the different things that Jesus did. And so we've broken this series up into a few different chunks. And so we started off looking at some prophecies, right? And so there were these things in the first part of our Bible, in the Old Testament part of our Bible, these things that prophets said, men and women said, hundreds or even thousands of years before Jesus lived. And they said, this is what the coming Messiah Messiah is going to be like. This is what his birth is going to be like. This is what his life is going to be like. This is what his death is going to be like. And then hundreds or thousands of years later, Jesus came and he lived and he did these things. Like it's incredible when you look at all of the prophecies in the Old Testament. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of them. How Jesus perfectly fulfilled those things. And we step back and we're like, there's, like, what are the chances that someone could fulfill all of these prophecies just sort of randomly? Like, it, it, the, the chances are infinitesimally small. They're, they're incredibly minute. Like, man, Jesus fulfilled all of these things. That's what we dug in with the first chunk of the series. I think we did three weeks on that. And then we dug into a bunch of the different miracles that Jesus did. Uh, walking on water, turning a little bit of fish and bread into a whole bunch. All of these things that cannot be done by human means, right? Like again, we take a step back and we look at it and we're like, that's impossible for a normal human being to do. There must be something different about who Jesus is, right? Of course, Jesus claimed to be God. He did things that only God could do. And so we looked at some of those. I think we spent five weeks digging into those miracles. And then we're in the, we're going to actually wrap up this morning this section that we've been doing on some of the different teachings of Jesus. And specifically, we've been looking at the parables. So one way that Jesus taught often was through parables. And so we've been looking at these week after week. This week, we're going to finish up looking at actually two little parables. I'm excited to do that. Uh, and then next week, next week I'm very much looking forward to as well. We're going to, this is the last chunk of this series. We're going to talk about prayer. And we're going to look at uh, some, a few of the different prayers of Jesus in the New Testament. Many people um, have questions about prayer. You know, like, I, I, maybe I'm not a good prayer. I don't know how to pray. What should prayer look like in my life? How did Jesus pray and what can I learn from him? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to dig into some of those prayers and pull out, like, what can we learn for us about how to pray by the way that Jesus prayed? Make sense? So we're going to dig into that, uh, that last chunk next week. This week, I'm excited to finish up this part on the parables. And I want to warn you this morning, like, what we're going to talk about um, is challenging. You know? So we all walk in here at different points in our faith, right? And, and that's cool. Like, that's normal. That's, that's how a church functions. We all walk in here with different pasts, different uh, struggles, different victories, all of that, different points in our faith. And you may walk in here this morning, and what we talk about, what Jesus talks about, and these two little parables that we're going to look at, may be very different. It may be a very different position than what you find yourself in this morning. And that's okay, right? Here, here's my challenge to you. When I, when I was... Uh, preparing for today and you know we're planning which parable to look at you know I hadn't uh, preached for a few weeks had a little bit of a break some other guys have stepped up I hope you enjoyed that by the way cool to see some of our young leaders at Grace Church guys that Lord willing a few years from now will be launching campuses of their own 
right, which is so cool. Hope you had a good chance uh, to experience that. But as I'm flipping through, I'm like, what should, Lord, what do you want me to share this morning? When I came across, I was reading a bunch of the different parables. When I came across these two that we're going to look at today, I knew instantly that this is what I felt like God wanted me to share. And I think particularly because as I take all of this that we're going to dig into today, and I want to challenge you to do the same. This is my challenge to you. As I personally in my life this week take this and, and I lay it like over my life, and I see how my life lines up or doesn't line up with what Jesus says, that's a challenge for us sometimes, right? And, and because sometimes it lines up perfectly. They're, they're, they're easy things that Jesus tells us to do, right? We're like, it comes very natural for me. And then other times Jesus tells us things and we go, wow, it's not even close. It does, it's not even close. And so my challenge to you this morning, what Jesus is talking about, stuff, tough. It's tough. And it may be different than the way that you're living your life as you walked in here this morning. My challenge to you is take what he says and honestly, be honest with yourself. Evaluate, is this, is this the way I'm living? And is this what I want for my life? Okay? Make sense? You can do that? Yes? Give me a head nod. It makes me feel better. Thank you. Okay, good. Uh, so one of the interesting things, I, I, I'm a little weird. I find this interesting. When you look at different people, it's fascinating to me what different people find valuable. Right? Like what different, so we know what value is. Value is like the worth that we place on something, right? And so maybe it's the monetary worth that we place on something. Maybe it's, you know, the, the, the relative worth that, or the importance that we place on something in our lives. That's what it is. But it's interesting. When, when you actually stop and think about how, you know, different people value different things, there's, there's actually not broad acceptance in what's valuable and what's not valuable. It's fascinating when you stop and think about it. Some things are a little bit more broadly accepted, right? So like things like money, like we could look at a $20 bill and we can go, okay, we all have roughly the same idea what that's worth, what $20 is worth. Maybe we have like fine gems or fine precious metals or something like that. We go, that's, that's valuable, right? Or, or we can look at real estate. We can go, that's valuable. But even those things, you know, like there's, there's, there's some people you could place a million dollars in front of them and, you, and they'd go, yes, that is incredibly valuable to me. I will take it, right? And you could take that same million dollars and put it in front of somebody else and they're like, I don't really care about it. Like I'm not really into money. Like it's not that important to me. Right? Or you could take, you know, a million dollar house, an amazing, beautiful house, and put it in front of somebody and said, Would you like this? And I go, Yes, I would love that's incredibly valuable to me. You could put that same house in front of somebody else and they're like, I don't really care. I'd rather live in a cave in the woods where no one would bother me. You know, like, like it, we have different sort of perspectives on what's valuable. It's funny, my, my daughter, this is this was yesterday morning. We were talking about school um, starting back up. And we're like, yeah, you know, school starts back up next week. You guys ready for this? And my daughter, Natalie, she's, uh, she's seven years old. She's like, I feel like we need to do something else fun before school starts. And I'm like, we have done a lot of fun things this summer, and we have spent a lot of money doing fun things this summer. Like, we are not going to spend more money. She's like, no, no, I really feel like we need to do, like, something fun. And so I'm like, well, how about this? How about we, uh, she saved up some money, like $100. We opened a savings account for her. So she's got $100 in savings in the, in the bank. I said, well, how about this? How about we take, I go to your bank and I take your $100 out and then we all go have fun with that money. Would that sound good? And she's like, yes, that would be amazing. I'm like, that backfired completely. 
She has no sense with money. Like money, $100 has no value to her. So, you know, like we look at, there's some things that we have a little bit broader agreement, you know, on what different people find valuable. But then there are a whole lot of things that we have total disagreement on. Like, do you ever watch that show, um, American Pickers? You guys know that show? That is a great show. Like, you got these two guys, they're really likable guys, and they, like, they got their big white truck, and they travel around, mostly the Midwest, like, mostly around, like, where, where we're at, and they go to these people's homes that uh, some might describe as hoarders, right? Like, they would have vast amounts of stuff. Some of them have, like, these big properties with old, you know, dozens of old, rusty cars, and these guys pull up. Maybe most of us would look at it and go, I have, there's no value to me in anything here, right? These guys come up and they're like, this is amazing, right? And they will give, you know, $200 for, you know, a 100-year-old bike that hasn't worked, is rusty, doesn't have wheels, hasn't worked in 50 years, something like that. They will pay them for that, right? And then they'll go and they'll, they'll rehab it, they'll make it look a little bit better, they'll post it online, and they'll sell it to somebody else who finds more value in it, right? Like, this is how things work. Like, we don't have the same value system. As a church, you look around and, like, these are our values, Right? We share life together. We have no spare parts. We do our best with everything we have. We do hard things. These are things that as a church, we value. You go to a different church, they may have different values in that. Here's my question to you. What do you find valuable? Like you personally in your life, what do you find valuable? And don't, don't just think stuff. Like a lot of times when we think value, uh, like valuable things is what we think. We think things. We think, we think stuff. Don't just think stuff. Like, like with your time, you know, what's for you, what's a valuable use of your time? Or, or how about your thinking? What's the most valuable stuff for you to think about? What do you spend the most time thinking about? Or, or, or maybe it's, you know, your future. Think about things that you value in regards to your future or in relationships. What do you find valuable? And, and how, about the, how about a second question? How about this? Is there anything in this world that you would give up everything for? Don't just gloss over that. Like, take a minute. Is there anything in this world that you're like, man, that is, I would give everything for that. I would give anything and everything. Well, this weekend, this is what I want to talk about because this is really what Jesus talks about in these two little parables that we're going to look at. And so here's what I want you to do. If you've got a Bible, grab it. Open it up to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. So Matthew is in the, the second part of our Bible, the second chunk of our Bible, the New Testament. It's the very first book in there. And Matthew chapter 13, by the way, if you don't, we're going to throw it up on the screen as well, the verses, but if you don't have a Bible of your own and you want to look at it on your lap, we've got a whole table full of them back here. Raise your hand, Steve will get you one. So Matthew chapter 13 is a unique chapter. It's a, it's a very interesting chapter. It's a chapter that's all about parables. And so there's a whole bunch, I don't know, seven, eight different parables in this chapter. And each of them are uh, kind of about the same topic. They're all talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And, and to give us a little bit of a context here, I want to I explain, I want to just kind of quickly go over these parables and then we'll dig into this one uh, or actually these two specifically. So uh, Matthew 13, the first one is uh, the parable of the sower. So Jesus is talking, he's talking to a group of people, he tells them all these teachings, and he tells them in parables. He uses metaphor, simile, comparison, right? And so the first one is this idea of a sower. He says a man goes out and he sows seed, he spread a bunch of seed, and the seed falls in four different places. You guys heard this parable before? 
Seed falls in four different places. Some seed falls on a path, and, a, and the birds come, and they just snatch it right up. It takes no root. It's gone. Some seed falls on rocky soil, and it takes root quickly, and it springs up, but it doesn't have any depth. It doesn't have any foundation. And so the sun comes and scorches it, and it withers away immediately. He says some seed falls among thorns, and the thorns grow up, and then they strangle the seed, the plant, and it doesn't grow. And he says the fourth seed, the fourth groups of seed, they fall in a different place. They fall in good soil. And it says, and then they produce a crop, and not just a crop, but a bumper crop. And so Jesus tells this parable, and then he explains it. So uh, parables sometimes, and the guys that have shared in previous weeks have, have said this as well, sometimes the parables are a little bit hard to understand or understand exactly what Jesus is saying here. In this chapter, there's two parables in the Bible that we actually have Jesus' explanation for. All the other ones, he doesn't, we don't have his written explanation here. I think he talked to his disciples about it and explained to him. But we don't have the explanation. The two parables that have explanation from Jesus are actually in this chapter. So the first one is this parable of the sower. The second one is the parable of the weeds. And so Jesus tells this parable. He said, a man goes and he plants good seed. He plants wheat seed in his field. But at the same time, an enemy comes secretly and he plants some weeds. He sows some weeds among the wheat. And so both of them grow up, and the servants are like, what happened? I thought that was good seed. Why are there so many weeds growing up with it? What do you want us to do, master? Go out and pull, like, do you want us to weed? Do you want us to go pull out all the weeds? And the master says, no, 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 don't do that. Let them grow up together. If you pull them out now, you're going to pull out the good plants, too. Let them grow up together, and at the end, at harvest time, we'll harvest it all, and then we'll separate them, and the weeds will be burned. That's what Jesus says. And then he explains it, okay? That's the second parable. He tells another parable about a mustard seed. And he says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You ever see a mustard seed? You should, go see, you should Google this. Or you should go to like natural food store and find, they're tiny. They are so, so small. He says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts out as the smallest seed that there is. But he says, it grows into the biggest of garden plants. He goes on, he tells another one about yeast. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. You take a little bit of yeast and you put it in dough and then it works its way all through the dough and then it causes everything to rise, right? And then he goes on, he tells these two parables that we're gonna look at today. He tells one about a hidden treasure and a pearl of, of great price, a pearl of great worth, which we'll talk about here in depth in a second. And then he wraps up, the la- he tells one more parable close to the end and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that collects a whole bunch of different fish. Throw a net, collects a whole bunch of different fish, good fish and bad fish. And he said, the good fish will be kept, but the bad fish will be separated and thrown away. And so this this chapter is all about a bunch of parables that talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. I challenge you this week, read this chapter. There's so much there for us to learn. I wish we had time to dig into a little bit more of it. But where I want to spend time this morning is uh, on these two little parables about the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. So hopefully you're there in your Bible. We'll throw it up on the screen too. So this is what Jesus says. This is Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. That's it. Two little parables, right? 
There's not, there's not a whole lot there. It's kind of two little short, three, three little verses. I want to dig into this this week because I think there is a gold mine. Short. Man, there is a gold mine when we slow down. I hope you do this when you read the Bible on your own too. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we can just like read chunks and chunks and chunks instead of slowing down at times and taking a verse and thinking through that verse deeply. This morning, we're going to think through these two, two para, uh, parables deeply. There's so much there. That being said, the big idea or the main point of what Jesus is saying is not real complex. It's, it's not real hard to understand. If you had to think about it, what, do you, what would you think? Don't say it out loud. What would you think is the main point in what Jesus is saying here? Well, as I look at it, this is how I see it. If I'm going to summarize what Jesus is saying, I'd do it this way. The kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything and everything else in this life. Kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything and everything else in this life. Would you agree with that? Is that kind of the, the, the main gist of what Jesus is saying here? It's not rocket science to understand basically what he's saying. It's more challenging accepting it, right, and personalizing it into our own life. So Jesus says kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything and everything else in this life. Go back to our initial questions. What's valuable to you? Right? Think, think about your own life. What's valuable to you? Is there anything in this world that you would give up everything for? And let me ask you another question. How do you wrestle with and personally apply what Jesus is saying? There is nothing more valuable than the kingdom of heaven. It's more valuable than anything and everything else. Is that true for you? Be honest with yourself, right? Is that true in your life, in theory or in practice, right? Because if that's true, if you answer yes to that, yes, the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything and everything else in my life. If that's true, there are radical implications for us, right? That radically changes the way that we live. It radically defines what we do. How, how often can we say, that that's true in our own lives. See, this is the stuff that I was reading this week. I'm studying this and praying through this. I'm like, God is challenging me, right? He's challenging me. Okay, so I want to dig into this. So Jesus' main point, pretty easy for us to grasp, harder for us to personalize, but easy to grasp. In these parables, there is so, so much. So I want to dig down, and I want to give you... Um, as we're, as we're digging uh, some nuggets, five gold nuggets. Hopefully, maybe they're platinum nuggets, I don't know. Five nuggets of things that I think we can pull away from this that has very much relevance to our lives here this morning. So the first one that's, for me, it's easy to gloss right by it. I read it and it's very easy to go on. The first one is really what Jesus is trying to get us to grasp in the first place. What's, what's Jesus trying to help us understand in these parables? Well, the kingdom of heaven, Right? The kingdom of heaven. What's so special about the kingdom of heaven? Think about that. You ever been to a kingdom on this earth? Like on this planet? Like have you ever traveled to a kingdom? Not, not just a foreign land, you know, or a foreign country, but actually a kingdom with a king. Like there's not, there's not many of them around today, right? It's very different today than it was 2,000 years ago. In Jesus' time, there were lots of different kingdoms. I, I've never been to a kingdom. Uh, I've been to the magic kingdom. That's the only kingdom that I've been to. Maybe some of you have been to that kingdom as well. I don't know who the king of that kingdom is. Is it Walt Disney? 
because he's not there anymore. Is it Mickey? Like, who lives in that castle? I have no idea. I think about my life, and um, I actually have a kingdom of my own. You know that? You want to see it? I brought a video. You want to see it? Yeah? Roll the tape. This is my kingdom. You guys are all so jealous right now. It's a glorious kingdom. <laughs> Some of you might look at that and say that is not a kingdom, that is a prison with torture devices in it, right? I love it. You know what that is? That's my barn. It's kind of my kingdom. I got a great wife. She lets me do some cool stuff, right? What makes it my kingdom? What makes that my kingdom? Well, everything in that barn was planned and put there by me. And I rule over, again, with my wife's permission. <laughs> I rule over everything that happens in that barn. So I look at my barn, I look at my kingdom, and I'm like, hmm, my kingdom needs medicine balls. My, my kingdom needs kettlebells. My kingdom needs bumper plates and barbells and rowers and skiers, right? And I go and I go and I buy that stuff. And I, as the king of my kingdom, I put that stuff in my kingdom. I determine what goes in my kingdom, right? Sometimes people come to me and they want to bring things into my kingdom. The only way that things go into my kingdom is how? With the king's permission, right? So one time somebody said, your kingdom, I love your kingdom. Wise king, <laughs> wise king, may I bring fans into your kingdom? It seems like your kingdom gets really hot. I sweat a lot in your kingdom. May I bring fans in? I think about it. I think, yes, my kingdom does get hot. It needs some fans. The fans may enter my kingdom, and he brings fans in. Another time, somebody says, wise king, they didn't say it that, wise king, your, your, your kingdom needs water. It needs a water supply. I get very thirsty in your kingdom. May I bring a water cooler into your kingdom? And I think and I say, yes, you're right. My kingdom does need a water supply. You may bring a water cooler in. The, the water cooler may enter my kingdom. Another time somebody comes to me and they say, I would love to work out in your kingdom. Wise king, may I enter? And I say, yes, the more the merrier. You may enter into my kingdom, right? I know I'm stupid. I get it, right? There's a point with this. What's the point? Well, the emphasis, when we're talking about kingdoms, the emphasis isn't on the kingdom. The emphasis isn't on the place. The emphasis is on the king, right? The king is the most important thing about the kingdom. The kingdom is defined by and ruled by the king. The king is the one who makes the kingdom more or less desirable, right? And so go back to our passage. Don't miss this in our passage. The significance of the kingdom of heaven isn't that it's a really nice place. Like it's lavish, it's lush, there's streets of gold. It's going to be amazing. That's not the point. The significance of the kingdom of heaven is the king. Right? You guys tracking with me? 
Very, very, very important to our theology to understand that. As we talk about the kingdom of God, the reason the kingdom of God is so valuable, like a, tre a hidden treasure, a pearl of great price, isn't because, man, it's going to be an awesome place. That's not it. It's because there's an awesome king that's ruling over that kingdom. You tracking with me? Okay, we're going we're gonna to circle back around to that. So Jesus is talking about the king's kingdom. That's how I like to think about it. The kingdom of heaven is what he says. I like to think about it as the king's kingdom because it reminds me that the king is what makes the kingdom special. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, the king's kingdom, is like a treasure and a pearl that are discovered and found by a man and a merchant. And when you read that first parable the guy discovering the hidden treasure, you, you, know, you see this man, he finds this hidden treasure, and it's unclear. You actually, we actually don't totally know if he's searching for the treasure and he finds it, or he's just kind of hanging out and doing whatever, and he stumbles upon the treasure. Now, I think about a hidden treasure, and I think if it's hidden, it's not in plain sight. You don't generally stumble upon something like that, right? Like, you actually generally have to be looking for it, but it's a little bit unclear in that first parable. However, when you get to the second parable, absolutely clear right the merchant it says is looking for fine pearls he's searching for very expensive pearls it's actually you know, when you think about a pearl like it's almost impossible to just stumble upon a pearl you got to look for it. you got to find an oyster right and then you got to open the oyster up to find the pearl but Jesus is very clear in the second one that this merchant is looking for that and guys I think that there's something there for us to consider how many times every day do we miss things that we aren't looking for? How many times every day do we miss things that we don't have an immediate need for or we don't see a need for in our life? That's like, that's part of humanity, right? Like there's just things like we are completely unaware of because they don't have our attention. I, I've shared a few times in here, it's scary to me how many times I have driven somewhere and then I get there and I'm like, I have no recollection of the drive here. I don't know if I stopped at any red lights or if I ran over anybody on the way here, right? Like, because my mind is somewhere else completely and I'm sort of on autopilot driving. How about this? Let's, let's do a little exercise. If you drove more than, uh, let's say, four to five miles to get here this morning, raise your hand. More, more than four, okay, keep it up for a second. Four to five miles. Keep your hand up if you also, those of you that have your hand up, if you also did not stop and get gas on the way here this morning, keep your hand up. Okay, everybody, almost everybody, right? Okay, here's my next question to you. How many gas stations did you pass on the way here? You're like, I have no idea, right? I didn't need gas, I don't know, five, 10, like if I needed gas, it would be different. Okay, that's the next question. How is it different? Like when we're not looking, we don't have a need for it. We didn't think about a gas station, right? But how is it different if you're coming to church and you are running on fumes and you're like, it is below E right now. I am in trouble. How is it different, your awareness of gas stations? Well, you are very aware of gas stations, right? You're like, I, the next one is 1.3 miles away. I think I can make, I think it's downhill. I think I can actually roll into it if I need to. Right? Guys, here's the point. The kingdom of heaven is kind of like a gas station, which is a sentence I don't think I ever said before this weekend, right? But the kingdom of heaven is kind of like a gas station. If we don't recognize our need for it, we'll never enter it. 
We'll never enter into it. In fact, we won't even actually care about it. Like, we don't care about a gas station when we don't need gas, right? You just drive right by it. You're, we're, we're, generally, most times, we are completely unaware of it. And we don't care, right? And it's the same thing with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the king's kingdom. When we don't see our need for it, we're completely unaware, right? And we actually don't care. Like, I don't care about it, right? But when we recognize the need that we have, that deep and profound need for the king's kingdom, and that need then causes us to actually step out and search for it, it's completely different. And then there's this beautiful promise. We'll, we'll kind of circle back to this as well at the end. There's this beautiful promise that God says, if you search for me, you'll find me. If you search for me, I'll show myself to you. And if we don't, we won't. We won't find it. We won't enter into it. The kingdom of God is not something that we just stumble upon, right? It's something that we actually have to search for. So here's my next question to you. What exactly are you searching for in your life? We're all searching for something. Whether we're aware of it or not, whether we know it or not, we're all searching for something. What are you searching for? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's, it's security. Maybe it's fame, maybe it's success, maybe it's popularity, maybe it's recognition, maybe it's pleasure, maybe it's meaning, maybe it's purpose, maybe it's peace, or maybe it's the kingdom of God. Maybe it's the king. What are we searching for? All right, you got that in the back of your head. Let's go on. Let's look at the next thing. Next thing that jumps out to me in this passage is the value uh, you know, we're talking about what's valuable, right? Jumps out the value of a hidden treasure and a pearl of great price, a very expensive pearl. Like, I don't know what you think of. When, when I think of those two things, I think like extremely valuable, right? Those are two extremely valuable things. It's funny, I was, um, I was reading this week about hidden treasures and um, did anybody ever search for hidden treasures as a kid? Like, I remember digging through stuff. I, lo I loved doing that. I was reading about this guy, his name's Peter Watling, in England in 1992, so this isn't that long ago. He's a farmer in England, and he was farming. He was like tilling his field or something, and he had his hammer with him, and somehow his hammer fell off, and he lost it. And, you know, he loved the hammer, and so he calls up his buddy, and he, who has a metal detector, and he's like, hey, man, can you come over and help me find my hammer? It fell off, and it got buried. I can't find it anywhere. And so his buddy comes up with this metal detector, and they start searching his farm, you know, for, for the buried hammer. And they stumble across this oak chest that's been buried uh, underground, under his, his farmland. And they open it up, and it's filled with silver spoons and gold jewelry and coins that date back to the, their estimate, the fourth or fifth century. Like these things had been buried on his property for 1,500 years, right? Amazing. And so the British Museum finds this. They're like, oh, old valuable stuff. Cool. So they pay him $3.8 million for this stuff. Crazy, right? I was reading a little bit about pearls this week, doing a little research on pearls. Pearls, of course, form naturally in oysters. I mean, I, I knew that. And um, it's, it's interesting. I guess I knew this too. I just never really thought about it. They're one of the only fine gems that's produced by a living creature. 
which is just interesting. And so they come in all kinds of different colors. You know, you have pink and green and blue and gray and black and white pearls. And a fine pearl can be very expensive. It could be worth millions of dollars, millions of dollars. And so I started reading a little bit more about these, and I didn't know, like, not every pearl, every pearl that I've seen looks like a marble, like a little round, shiny marble. They don't all look that way. And so the most expensive pearl in the world is that baby. It's two feet wide. It weighs 75 pounds. And so this commercial fisherman um, dug this up, and, like, found this thing in a giant oyster, and uh, he had it under his bed for like years and then somebody found it and they pull it out it is they estimate it's worth about a hundred million dollars a hundred million it's ugly but it's worth something right what's the point well the kingdom of heaven guys is like that it's like that it's of incredible worth to us why what don't forget this what makes it worth so much to us the king right it's the king that gives the kingdom worth it's not that the kingdom of heaven is just this really cool place it's that the kingdom of heaven is where the king is here's my next question to you what makes what is it about the king that makes the kingdom of heaven so valuable jesus is saying it's so valuable it's like hidden treasure it's like the most expensive pearl that you could ever imagine. What is it about the king that makes the kingdom so valuable? We'll come back to that. How about the fourth thing that jumps out to me? So when the, uh, the guy in the field finds this incredibly valuable treasure, hidden treasure, what is the immediate emotion that he feels when he finds it? What does he feel? Three-letter word. Did you catch it? Joy, right? He finds this and it says he is filled with joy. He's incredibly joyous because he's found this incredible treasure, like winning the lottery. And I stop, guys, and I think back in my own life. Of course, when we apply that, apply that to the kingdom of God. And I don't know, if you sit here this morning and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you've said yes to Jesus, I don't know what that process was like for you. This, this week was good and healthy for me because I was just thinking about joy it, it reminds me to like think back and what that was like initially for me like the extent of the joy like the deep un unmatchable undescribable joy that you feel when you know like I, I know myself right you know yourself I know all the rotten things that I've done in my life no one else knows them Mom and dad don't know him. Brothers and sisters don't know him. Friends don't know him. I know everything. I know the extent of my rottenness. The only other person that does is him. And I know that my rottenness creates this barrier. I felt it every day. I felt like I was God's enemy because of the choices, because I rebelled against him. And all of a sudden, I remember back. For me, I was at a conference. And I remember back to the joy that I felt when I got it when I understood that God loves me and he wants to offer me forgiveness and I don't have to rebel against him anymore. I don't have to feel like I'm his enemy. I'm his son. And so in my hopelessness, I can reach up to him and he rescues me. And I, I spent this week just remembering that joy. For me, there are tears too. It was emotional, you know, but there were tears of joy. 
It makes me want to ask you, have you experienced that joy in your life? Like, do, you, do you know what I'm talking Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. There's a joy that we can have when we get a chance to experience the king and his kingdom. That is, it's, it's nothing else can compare. Nothing else can fill that. Maybe some of us this morning, we feel like, yeah, I felt that at, at one time in my life, but it sort of washed away. It sort of withered away. And I don't even know how to get it back. We're going to talk about that. I'll give you the answer here in a few minutes. Let me, let me give you one more thing that really challenged me probably more than anything else in looking at these parables. One more thing, then we'll wrap it up. This is, this is kind of what knocked me on my butt this week. The man that found the treasure and the man that found, the merchant that found the pearl of great price, what did they have to go and do? After they found them, what did they have to go and do to obtain them? Remember that? They got to go out, and it says they sell everything that they got to go and buy those things, right? And so let's be clear here. Like, let's understand the limits of the comparison that Jesus is making here. Whereas in the parable, they have to go out, and they have to sell everything they have, and they have to buy the field, they have to buy the pearl. We can't buy the kingdom of God, right? I'm not going to challenge you. The action point at the end of the sermon today isn't going to be, go to the pawn shop right after this, sell everything you got, and then bring it all here to my feet, and I will declare salvation for you. That's not how it works. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But guys, I really believe that when we get it, when we understand the gospel, when I understand and am honest with myself how utterly sinful and rebellious and in trouble we are, and I understand that God is a just God who's one day going to punish evil, one day going to punish sin, his love and his justice demand it. And yet God in his love and justice and one day punishment of sin and evil compassionately offers to rescue me in my desperate need for help when I can't do anything else. He reaches down, he says, grab hold of my hand. You have to choose, grab hold of my hand. And I trust, I grab hold and I allow him to rescue me. When I get that, when I understand that, Everything else in this life, everything else that we focus on, that we're like, man, this is such a big deal. Like, these are plans that I have in my life. This is, this is what I feel. This is what's so important to me. And when we get it, everything else in our life just sort of fades into the background. And it pales in comparison to the treasure of the king's kingdom. Everything, right? This, this is the treasure that Jesus is talking about. In Matthew 16, Jesus says something else. He's talking to his disciples and he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, please apply this to your life. Listen to what Jesus says here. Whoever wants to be my disciple, which I do, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Here's my question. Am I willing to lose my life for Jesus? And are you willing to lose your life for Jesus? Because I'll bet you're like me. I'll bet you look at your life and your future and you're like, I got plans. I got things that are important to me. We, we've been thinking this morning about what's valuable to us. I'm like, I got things that are valuable to me, right? I got goals. I got plans. I got stuff in my life. This is me, God. And when God, on the other hand, says, I got a treasure for you. 
I got a treasure for you, but it's going to cost you everything. You got to be willing to sacrifice all of this for my plan for you. And you have to trust that what I offer you is better than anything that you could get yourself. Right? That, that knocks me on my butt this week. Because if you're like me, that's not easy. Right? That's challenging to be able to continually turn that stuff over to the Lord. Because I like myself. And I like being in control of my life. And I like things to happen the way that I want things to happen. God says, no, it doesn't always happen your way. I have plans for you. But you've got to be willing to move away from what you want into what I want. Guys, as we wrap up, let me, let me just say a couple things here. Let me, let me start off asking you a couple questions. The first one is this. Have you found this treasure that Jesus is talking about? Have you found the pearl of great price in your own life? Like, have you looked at your life and all of the plans, all of the stuff going on, and you're like, there's got to be more. I'm not happy, you know. There, there must be something more. And in your discontent, has it caused you to step out and search and look for something more? Look for purpose, look for meaning, look for peace, look for God. And in your search, have you experienced the joy of salvation that Jesus describes when we find the treasure. Have you experienced that joy? If this morning you sit here and you're like, no. If I'm honest, no. I haven't experienced that. Now I say this to you. It's available to you. If you want it, it's available to you. And no one's going to coerce you. Like you're in a safe place here. No one's going to pressure you or try to manipulate you. And guys, here's the thing. God's not going to force you to choose him. Right? He doesn't force us to grab hold of his hand to be rescued. We have to want it. We have to accept it. We have to receive it for ourselves. It's available to us anytime. If this morning you sit here and you're like, I've not experienced that yet. Maybe others of us have experienced it and we're like, I feel lukewarm. Like if I'm honest, I feel lukewarm. If, if that's you this morning, let me, say, let me say something. We live in a world that there is uh, all kinds of privilege, right? Like in the, in the United States, we have lots of privilege, we have lots of temptation, lots of distractions. When we live in a world like that, many times we are pulled, if we're honest, we are pulled more to the kingdom of the world than we are to the kingdom of God, right? And we can be honest about that. I've experienced that, I battle that all the time, and you do too. And if we say we don't, I'm super spiritual, I'm very mature, I don't struggle with that at all. You're lying. You're lying. We all do as human beings in this world. And then we look at God and we're like, my love for him is like diminished. But we look at the joy that we once had and we're like, yeah, it's gotten stale, cold, lukewarm. We look at our willingness to like sacrifice our goals and our plans and live for the treasure that Jesus offers and we're like, yeah, it's less res I'm less resolute in that. I don't really want to do that as much anymore. Guys, it's bound to happen to each of us. Even, even King David, the most, the most important king in the history of Israel, the guy that God said is a man after his own heart, you know what he wrote after significant sin in his life? He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He lost it. 
give it to me back. Give me the joy of your salvation. But see, I love this. The answer is the same whether we've never found the treasure We've never experienced the joy. We've never had the willingness to sacrifice our desires for God's treasure. Or we've had all of those things and we felt like they've just sort of withered away. The answer, the solution is exactly the same. We get it back the same way we found it in the first place. Imagine that. You know what it is? Pursue the king. Pursue the king. Like it's so simple. We make it so complex. Well, I got to work really hard. Uh, I gotta guard my mind, control my mind. I gotta be a good person. I gotta go to church. I gotta da 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 da. I gotta get counseling. I gotta get help. I gotta... No, just pursue the king. And we know who the king is, right? It's the guy who wrote what we're reading, King Jesus. See, you guys, these these parables that we're looking at, the ones at least specifically this morning, these aren't really parables about what a treasure the kingdom of heaven is. They're really parables about what a treasure the king is and what a treasure it is to know the king. I, I love, I told you we we're going to round back to this at the end. I love the promise that Jesus gives us in Matthew 7. I love this. When it, in times in my life when I'm struggling and I'm like, God, I'm crying out to you and I don't hear you. I'm seeking you and I don't see anything. I can't find you. I go back to this promise. This is what Jesus says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Guys, God does not hide himself from us. We hide ourselves from him sometimes. But he doesn't hide himself from us. If you want him, if you want to get to know him, if you want to experience the joy and the treasure seek him find him pursue the king right ask and it will be given to you are you asking for god's plan in your life seek him and you'll find are you seeking him Isn't it, you know how you seek him there's, there's probably lots of different ways and depending on who we are there's no replacement for just picking up a bible and opening it up and reading and allowing his spirit to change us from the inside there's no replacement for getting down on our knees or taking a walk or, or whatever it is and putting our, and talking to him, right? Praying to him. There's no replacement for that. Are we knocking on his door and asking him to open? Wherever you're at this morning, if you pursue the king, everything changes. But we got to see our need and we got to be willing.